Well, welcome to Sermon Notes. I'm Clark, and I've got Garland with me as we continue our study in 1 Peter. We have moved out of chapter 3. We're in chapter 4. Um, Garland, we're going to be in verses 1 to 11 this week. And so go ahead and set us up with a big idea, kind of where we're going, and then uh, some things that, that might not make the teaching um, that you won't have time for. We know that you're going to try to make time for it. Yeah, but, I'm just going to kind of yeah. make stuff up this week. I'm yeah, just going to share right. kind of my opinion on things. And we'll see if the text <laughs> makes don't. it in. Maybe the Bible will get in there eventually. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, just getting us uh, kind of oriented to the passage at least. So it's 4, 1 to 11. You'll notice that chapter 4, verse 12 begins our next section of the letter. So it, uh, in, in uh, most translations, say beloved or dear friends, something like that. So uh, that's his marker for transition in this letter, at least. And so 4, 1 to 11 is, we might say, the, the bookend of a major section of this letter that goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 11. So 2, 11 through 4, 11 is one section, and this is the, uh, the culmination of that. And you can actually see his uh, culmination of that, for lack of a better yeah. term, actually started in verse 8 of chapter 3. He said, finally. Um, and so uh, now when I say finally, I hope to be getting done pretty quick. We're this kind of one, still kind yeah. of in the middle. This one went a while. Say, so, hey, finally, all of you, let me sum up what I've said. And then you get all of the rest of chapter three and then 11 verses of four. But just so we can all see how the letter fits yeah. and how it works together. Mine begins with a therefore. Okay. And so everything in my section is rooted to what's come before. And so that's what therefore does. Uh, it connects to what came before. It's a transition marker in discourse. And what we have here, I've also, I've also got uh, the same thing in verse 7, another therefore. So all of this is connected, so you can see that if you're a sermon notes listener, if you got your Bible out, underline those therefores. For me, that's a double underline when I see transition words, so that, because, in, other, uh, in order that, therefore, for, I'm a double, I double underline those, so figure out your system. But let me give a, a quick kind of overview, because well, the way I'm going to approach the passage in this sermon is going to be, uh, a little bit more thematic, it'll seem. So we're yeah. not going to go kind of verse one, two, then three, all the way down. Well, uh, there is a lot of contrast going on. Yeah, yeah. We're this is how hit... you were. This mm-hmm. is how you yeah. now so are. And in virtue... deals with some behavior, the setting apart. This is mm-hmm. what a holy life mm-hmm. looks like. So yeah, by virtue yeah. of that, I'm I'm, I'm going to kind of attack it a different way. Um, but uh, just to see how it works, um, he he begins with therefore. Since Jesus suffered, again, notice, there's our same idea that we've seen over and over again. Now, there are two, uh, we might say, uh, really, there's three imperatives or commands. One of them is in verse 1, 4-1, and then there's two more in verse 7 that kind of go as a unit. So, be alert and of sober mind. We saw that same thing in chapter 1. I think it's in verse 14. So, those are our um, clear imperatives. There are a handful of other ones that sort of we might say, have the same kind of imperative or command force, and they're getting that force because they're in the discourse rooted to the imperative or the command that came before. So yeah. 4-1 is clear. Arm yourself. Now, this is a word only used once in Greek, uh, and at least in the Greek New Testament. It's used all over the place in uh, in the Greek language uh, of the first and second centuries back in the day. I actually went and did a little deep study, a little deep dive. Sure it's you did. Being, it's being yeah. translated here as arm which that works. Um, I like arm. That'll work. Um, I think it, it it probably has a little bit broader idea than just put on uh, armor, armor or sort. You can tell 
um, what a man's man soldier I am right now, but yeah. I know how to talk about it. Uh, basically, it means to equip, to train, to ready yourself. Mm-hmm. A Roman soldier doesn't just pick, pick up a shield and now they're armed. There's a lot more to it than that. They've got to know how to be trained and equipped to go out to the battle. And so uh, that's one of our commands. The other two down there, like I said, are in verse 7. Um, but notice, which, by the way, there's, this is urgent. Oh, there's the, a the, the way yeah. this is oh, yeah. worded. Yeah, there's an urgency here to mm-hmm. walking in holiness mm-hmm. because of what's been accomplished and because of the persecuting that's impending, mm-hmm. the persecution that's impending. I don't want us to miss that the tone. Oh, totally. It's yeah. it's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pushing against them to take this serious because something's coming. Yeah. On the in the sermon, what I'm going to refer to that as is. Uh, what is the storied imagination that we are walking in? And for Peter, his answer to that, what's the, where are we in the story? What time is it in this story? Peter would say, verse 7, the end of all things is near. It's actually a perfect verb in Greek, and what perfects do is they bring heightened proximity or um, they, they highlight the concept. The end of all things is really near. It's in your face, we might say. And so what Peter, and he's done this a bunch of times in the letter. He's done it in chapter 1. Um, he said the prophets, they prophesied about this. The angels long to look, but it's now been revealed in these last days. The same word near with the same perfect verb construction is precisely what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus hits the ground after his baptism. He begins proclaiming the gospel message about king and kingdom. He says, repent and believe the good news of the gospel because the time, the kingdom of God has come near. Same exact construction. So if you ask Peter, what time is it? Kind of in the the, the redemptive history story you consider of the, the world. ages, if you will. Yeah, Peter yeah. would say, this this is the time. This is the urgent moment. This is, this is D-Day. We are in the boat. This is it. He acknowledges that it's not fully consummated yet. We still await the return, return of Jesus. But if you were to ask a Jesus follower in the first century, hey, why do you live like this? They would say, because the end is near. <laughs> this is the last days. Everything's been flipped on its head yeah. because of the resurrection. I, I think we hear last day language and end and immediately get left behind books in our head. You know this. Yeah. Uh, you know that, that bumper sticker that says... Uh, uh, in case of rapture, flip this Jeep over. We get that kind of thing in our brain. That's not what they have in mind. What they have in mind is the fulfillment, the crescendo, um, the summing up, the coming together of the biblical expectations have found their yes and amen in Jesus. Now, is there a future element of that? Certainly, when Jesus returns. But the the reason they live the way they live in the first century, and he's appealing to us to do the same thing, is because they really think that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, everything about what right. we experience in this world is different. Like everything. We are we see the world with different eyes. We talked about this a lot in our resurrection series, that we live in new creation ground. And so that's why the language... Uh, well, and, and for them too, the, the urgency not only live holy lives, but considering the persecution and the suffering they were under, I mean... What, what they would consider as the end. God, would you vindicate us? Would you bring judgment? They had, a, they had a sense of that as well to it. Yeah, what's amazing is I think, you know, we were talking in a meeting yesterday, and this is what Sermon Notes replicates of some of our meetings, and we were talking about, you know, rejoicing and suffering. And, rejo- and uh, one of our staff has just, uh, one of their uh, the, their spouse has just come back from a place where it's very, very dangerous to be a Christian. In fact, uh, what, we, what she said was to even own a Bible there, 
would get you killed. And uh, as we were just sort of talking about these passages, I felt I felt bad. I almost felt like I felt like, well, that's not how it should be. That's that's we can't tell people suffer well. That's you would never read First Peter to that person. Then I, but that shows I don't live with the right mindset yeah. to walk in this world in new creation ground. Resurrection ground means death. You can scoff at like Paul does. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And I just, when I respond to that story and go, well, oh no, that's, which yes, it's tragic, it's sad. We're not rooting for that, obviously. But for me to kind of respond, my, my insides when she said that responded with like, what a tragedy, this is so terrible. This is, and it's actually betraying that I haven't had to wrestle deep with the resurrection. Like, and we'll see that this fall when we study Philippians. Oh yeah. When Paul yeah. leans into joy with imminent death staring he him down. He thinks he might be out, he, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I got to wrestle with that myself. Uh, so yeah, totally. The urgency in this passage is all over it. In 7 to 11, there's actually going to be, there are a, a cluster of, we might say, clear imperatives. So alert and sober, but sober-minded. Those are, your, those are imperatives or commands in Greek. But then there's three more that we might say flow out of that, um, that have the force, we might say, of what feels like, uh, uh, clear instruction, and it's there in verse 8, love each other deeply. Uh, verse 9, offering hospitality. What does it look like to uh, to love? Well, it looks like welcoming people that might get you in trouble to bring them in. Um, yeah. Opening up your house to have a, a service, honoring Jesus in the Roman culture might get your house burned down. Um, then it says, whatever gift you've received, serve others with it. Um, it's a radical way of orienting our gifts and talents and power around serving, not winning or gaining. Um, then he explains a little bit of, of what that looks like, and then it ends with a doxology. So this section yeah, ends with a doxology before the last major break uh, of the letter. I also thought about um, the last part of Romans chapter 12, where he's walking you through all those specific commands on what it looks like mm -hmm. to be someone set apart or consecrated, not conforming to the world. And it's just, it's all these commands that are put out there mm -hmm. um, as they believe the gospel. And so same kind of language as some of these as well would be mm -hmm. a good cross-reference mm -hmm. as well. There's a couple of things yeah. that just won't make the sermon um, yeah. that are worth talking about here. Um you know, I'm going to save a lot of the meat on this bone for the sermon uh, because I think I, I'm excited to teach it the way I'm going to try to. It may not work. It may not land. So, I mean, and I'm acknowledging that here. If you're a sermon or a listener, if it doesn't land, then uh, don't tell me. Just tell me it was awesome. Uh, that way I can remain ignorant uh, <laughs> of my own shortcomings. But um, I'm going to, you know, we're going to try to teach it a little bit differently on Sunday, but that'll leave a couple of unanswered questions. And here they are. Um, the first is in verse 1. Here, I'll read it. And the NIV is helping us out. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself, train yourself with the same attitude. By the way, cross-reference Philippians 2 all over the place. Philippians 2, 3 yeah. through 11. Arm yourself with the same attitude. And here's the, the problem. The NIV is translating this. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Um, it's actually... That, that sounds okay. The Greek grammar is even more problematic because... Yeah. Um, there is a way that some scholars have read this that says, um, arm yourself with the same attitude. Well, Christ then had the attitude of needing to suffer to be done with his sin. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case, um, but that is how some have taken it. Yeah. It still doesn't, uh, even, even still, 
it's a difficult thing to say. Okay, it's our suffering that is doing away with the sin. Okay, not Jesus's. I think we can rule that one out just theologically. But what does it mean then still um, that it's our, whoever suffers in the body is done with in our suffering. Um, And some would take that to mean that uh, there is a, there is an ability to, um, this is a perfect tense verb. There's ability to uh, achieve some kind of state where we've, we we finally rid ourselves of sin. That's going to fly against a lot of other new Testament teaching. I think that's hard to square I was confronted by a man one time who told me that he'd achieve a sinless state and that I was only 40% saved. And I wanted to respond to him, well, I feel like you're sinning with your arrogance (laughs) and pride right now. So uh, just, you know, we'll leave that for a different time, the rest of that story. We wouldn't teach the entire Uh, sanctification or uh, sinless perfectionism fellowship. Um, Yeah. How does the, I got the NAS pulled up here as well, because I think, yeah, has ceased from sin. Um, uh, what I think is the most satisfying answer to what does he mean here is when you suffer, it is demonstrating that the former way you live, which he's about to describe, that you've really left it. Yeah. That when you're willing to suffer, um, it's actually showing that the, the, the former thing, you're, you're really, you really are done with it. Does that make sense? I think that's oh, yeah. what he has in mind. Well, and if you consider the list of sins that he mentions here in this passage, it's pretty clear whether or not you're still doing some of them or not. Um, yeah, what a list. I mean, it's, it's quite the list. <laughs> yeah, debauchery and lust and drunkenness, yeah. orgies, carousing. And some of that is made manifest in the flesh, and some of that finds its seed and its root in the heart, as Mark 7 would tell us. And so... Um, so it is hard to measure, but some of those things are very measurable, measurable. Mm-hmm. We don't say carousing no, enough anymore. We Big don't drinking parties, basically carousing. carousing. Uh, yeah. we don't say that much and then detestable idolatry. So, uh, there are some that would argue that this entire list are things that take place at temples in, uh, pagan religious no. ceremonies. I, whether that's the case or not, I don't actually think it matters. I think, um, whether they happened there, they certainly happened there and elsewhere. Um, and so um, there was a way to be Roman, we might say, just like there's a way to be American. And I think what Peter would have in mind is, um, if you say no to that, we're going to see that again in verse five, uh, verse five and verse four, you're going to suffer. If you yeah. say no to those things, that way of being Roman, then they're going to notice it. Especially if it's associated with uh, the worship of uh, of their pagan gods, because now the gods might not be happy with you, and so um, then society could fall apart. And now, who are they going to come after? The Christians. And so, yes, we got to do a little imagination, I think, to understand how that would have felt in a culture filled with pagan temples, but not really. We have to do that much imagination to see there's a way that you get along. To get along in the business world, to get along in the like the, the university setting. Uh, there's a way to get along in the fraternity sorority world. There's a way to get along in parenting, what you do in your weekends. It's a way of compromise. Yeah, there's just a way to do deal with money. And I think Paul would say when you say no to that, the culture goes, wait, we're surprised. You're no longer running headlong into this. That's verse 4. Yeah. And I guess the question I've been wrestling with, and this is why I'm going to approach the sermon the way I am, is uh, would Fayetteville be surprised at us? I'm just going to let that sit there. You know, would people in your neighborhood, my neighborhood, your kid's school, my kid's school, um, the coffee shop, the restaurant, um, the way we do business, would they go, man, we're surprised by you. You don't look like us at all. Um, 
That's a hard question, I think, to answer yeah. oftentimes for me. Uh, again, the similar themes we've seen picked up in the rest of the book, he says, God knows how to both preserve his faithful remnant, but also he knows how to bring justice. Don't take it into your own hands, which creates our second big question in the passage, which is verse 6. Here we go. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who were now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What in the world? Um, Similar language to, to last you had, week's. Yeah, in chapter 3. Yeah. Um, Is it a different group of people? Yeah. Is he speaking of? Yeah. Difficult questions. Kind of, uh, I won't have, have hardly any time to address it in the sermon. Um, there are, are really, as far as I can tell, at least trying to summarize lots of different opinions, two kind of main approaches uh, that I think are most satisfying. One would see this as some kind of, uh, again, with the passage above, some kind of proclamation to those who have passed away um, of judgment, um, those who have passed away. And so uh, there are some that have taken it that way. Many, I think, take a pretty simple approach, which is this. Um, and maybe at first blush, it doesn't sound simple, but read it again with this in mind. They're like, oh, that makes sense. There are some that professed Christ while alive who have since died. While they were alive, they were maligned according to the standards of Roman culture, the men around them, the people around them. Because of their faith in Jesus, while they were alive, having received the message of the gospel, they were maligned. Um, but the gospel was preached to them so that they actually are, while they're judged as where they're judged in in the flesh as men, yeah. they're actually living to, according to God's will. So who are those that have died? Some would just take that as uh, a, a Jesus follower who came to Christ in their normal you know, earthly life and has since passed away. Uh, it's a way to almost see perspective. While they were alive, because of following Jesus, they were judged. They faced hostility. But yeah. don't you see? They were the ones really living for God. Um, That's I, right. I think that... So go read it again. You know, I think that makes sense of it. Uh, a scholar I really respect. In fact, we've both quoted from her numerous times. She d she takes a different approach than that. Um, she takes a different approach, and so uh, I, I'm not. I don't want to be dismissive of the other readings. And if you're out there uh, doing some work on the passage and you're reading the commentary, you're just thinking about it, or you're, you Google it or something like that, you come to a different. Did you? Take, is this from fine. Baker's? Exegetical commentary, the Karen, the, the Karen yeah. jokes. Yeah, she takes yeah. a little bit different take um, th than that. And so, uh, yeah, a couple of different options there. There's nothing else overly difficult in the yeah. passage. I think uh, when we get down to, that's not going to be talked about in the sermon at least. I think uh, some some get, I think, exceptionally um, excitable on this language about spiritual gift stuff down in yeah. verse 10. Um, the word is charisma. So uh, charis is the word for favor, gift, or grace. Charisma is gifted, uh, gifts, something like that. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's appropriate to take Peter's words here, cross-reference them with 1 Corinthians, cross-reference them with something Romans, in Romans, and then yeah. try to make some modern personality test where we uh, answer some questions and it spits out a, a word for us. I know many of you may have done a, a, a spiritual gifts test. I know I've done one before. Uh, I think sometimes we are um, oversimplifying something that might be uh, might be have a little bit more nuance than that. And so I think what he has in mind here is very simple. Um, hey, as we've received a gift, a charisma, um, serve each other with it, whatever it is. Yeah, be serve faithful. Each other with it. Yeah, 
in this new resurrected life, as you serve one another, as you're suffering together as exiles, use your gift and steward them well mm-hmm. to honor God and bless mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Speaking, then do that. And, hey, if it's serving, do that. Um, if, you know, if it's do it all with the strength that God supplies, it's not you doing it anyway. Um, in fact, he cool. actually focuses on the glory of God to yeah. kind of f- round out the passage. Yeah, which I is what tell, our gifts are given for yeah, in the first yeah, place. Totally. Yeah. I always tell people the second that you are using any spiritual gift to terminate on you, to either make you feel good or to make sure you know something about you or the people around you know something about you, the is the very second it's not a spiritual gift. And I'll say it that strongly. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, spiritual gifts in any of the passages are always pointing to God's glory. They always make Jesus king. And so I, I tend to tamp down. Some of the, uh, I think some of the just excitableness about spiritual gifts yeah. passages, because uh, I just, I think they're a little simpler than that. Um, what else am I missing, Garland, Clark? This we is good? good stuff, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know about our listeners, but I know for me, from a formation standpoint, spiritually speaking, uh, this summer has been transforming for me and my heart and my mind, the way I see people. Um, the way I consider sins that I'm trying to walk away from and repent from. Um, Peter's given me language yeah. on how to walk with Jesus in, in my culture right now. Yeah, I'd say And it. he's, you know, I, I haven't been pointing my fingers at a lot of other people this summer because I've he's doing a lot of work on me and in me right now. He's both giving me like, like goosebumps, like, yeah, and also hit me on the head with a two-by-four at the same yeah. time, which is good. Um, and that's like the, what the Bible does. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's, and he's that's good and gracious in doing that. And so for those of you who are listening, thank you once again for joining us here on Sermon Notes, and we look forward to being with you next time. So for Clark and Garland, we'll see you next time.